Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, for these few minutes, I pray that we would get a glimpse of your character. And Lord, I pray that you begin to soften our hearts so that we would long to be like you. Lord, give us grace to follow, faith to trust. And Lord, I pray that we would be conformed into the image of your Son. Amen. It's a little startling how oftentimes Jesus talks about money. Now, I realize that's a dangerous thing to say from the outset, because when any preacher starts talking about money, people begin to get nervous. So you're going to tell me to up my tithe to the church? Where's the door? I'm actually not going to tell you to up your tithe to the church, much to the chagrin of our treasurer. He might wish that I would. But seriously, I think our sensitivity about the topic of money probably points to the same reason that Jesus speaks about it so frequently. In other words, it has greater hold on us than we expect, I think. We're looking, beginning with Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, this parable about the rich man and Lazarus. And I'm not going to even begin to address everything that we could address in this parable or in the topic of money. Think of this as the beginning of a conversation, something to wrestle with. He spoke this parable to the Pharisees, and we heard a few verses earlier, Because they loved money so much. This was a pointed parable. But it was actually one of many, many statements he's been making over the course of Luke 12 to 18 about money. It's startling in these series of chapters how frequently this topic comes up. This is on the heels of a number of other things, in other words. In this parable, like I said, I can't address everything. There's all these different points that he's making. He hints at that in the resurrection fortunes will be reversed. The rich will be made poor and the poor will be made rich. And this is not a new thing. He said it directly in Luke 6. It runs throughout the Gospel of Luke. He hints in this parable about the fact that miracles don't create faith if a person has rejected the Word of God. A miracle may confirm faith once somebody already believes, but it can't create faith. But it's actually his point about how we use our money in regards to the poor that I want to spend our time on today. Because this parable, and he doesn't spell this out explicitly, but it's not hidden. This parable has a point. It would have been really clear to those listening, this point that it matters what you do with your money, specifically in regards to the poor. The Old Testament's explicit about that. We're called in the Old Testament to care for the poor. It's stated over and over. It's not unclear. The Old Testament also points out the fact that a gate was supposed to be a place of justice. That may seem odd to you, but a gate was like a public courtroom. It was a place where justice was enacted in a town. And so when you see in this story a wretched poor man lying at a gate, you hear all the signs that justice is not working, that God's law is being broken. To reject a poor person at the gate was to actually flagrantly reject God's desires and God's will. Now, unless we get the wrong idea, the Bible never actually teaches that money in and itself is evil. And it's actually important to state that out front. It never says that money in and of itself is evil. Instead, it warns us that we shouldn't put our hope in it. It warns us that we shouldn't covet it. It warns us that we shouldn't turn it into our God. 
In other words, it's our relationship with money that can be the problem, not money itself. So if you actually ask the question, okay, so if money's not the issue, but it's my relationship with money that might be the issue, then how do I have right relationship with money? In other words, how do I avoid covetousness? How do I avoid idolatry? How do I avoid turning it into my God, it being the place of my hope and my security? How do I avoid even being anxious about it? Because that's one of the many things Jesus holds up as a wrong relationship with it, anxiety. How do I avoid those wrong relationships with money? And the simple answer that Jesus gives over and over again, and this is startling, is that you avoid those wrong relationships with money by giving it away specifically by giving it to the poor. It's actually, as I went back and sort of traced the passages for this sermon, I was struck again by the fact that like his answer to these problematic relationships with money seems so repetitive. So in chapter 12, he addresses covetousness, and he says, beware covetousness. That's a wrong relationship with money. And then right after that, he says, don't be anxious about money, another wrong relationship with money. And you can imagine him having disciples come up and say, so how do we do it? And this is his answer. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's like he's saying, you want to know how to avoid covetousness? You want to know how to avoid anxiety about money? Give it away to those who don't have any. It's not a one-off. A couple of chapters later in Luke 14, and we heard this a few weeks ago, when he was dealing with people who were all wrapped up in themselves, promoting themselves to places of honor, using their wealth to raise their status in society. And you know what his answer to that problematic relationship with money was? He says, when you give a banquet, you know this, don't invite your friends or neighbors. Don't invite the people who can pay you back. Instead, who do you invite? The poor, the crippled, the lame. The blind. In other words, if your problematic relationship with money is that it's all about how I can elevate myself in society, he says, then give it away to those who can't elevate themselves. You hear how repetitive his answer is? A couple of chapters later, and again, I began with, it's startling how frequently he talks about this. And I think it's because we need to hear it. A couple of chapters later in Luke 16, when he's just talking about the use of money in general, he says, make friends for yourself by means of wealth. Make friends for yourself by means of wealth so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. That one's cryptic, right? What's he talking about? And in the context of all these other statements about money and in the context of the Old Testament, that make friends for yourself by means of wealth is basically a circumlocution for saying, give your money away to those who can't pay you back. That's how you make friends. And those are the people who are going to receive you into eternal dwellings because they're the people that are going to experience the blessing of God in the new kingdom. Again and again and again, he says that money is supposed to be a tool that we use to serve those who are suffering, to serve those who are in need. And it's when we use it for ourselves and for ourselves alone that it begins to get power over us. And the power that it gets over us is things like anxiety, things like covetousness, 
things like idolatry, the things that we're warned against. And Jesus' prescription to breaking the power that money has over us is give it away. Give it away. Give it to those in need and watch its power be broken. At this point, I would guess that y'all like me go, I just don't have the nerve, right? It takes a lot of guts to actually say, I'm going to try that. It takes a lot of guts. Like I said, this is a beginning of a conversation, a wrestling that I think that we ought to have with the concept of generosity, with what Jesus is calling us to. But his claim in all these passages is that the power that money has over us, the power of idolatry, of covetousness, of greed, of anxiety, all of that power is broken when we actually just reject the idol itself. When we say, here, I give it to somebody else. The money's not the issue. Our relationship is, and it's broken when we begin to live a life of generosity. Now, for most of us, that life is going to take tiny, tiny, tiny steps of faith. It's hard to jump to the end in one big jump. And our Lord is gracious. But that's the call. It's the same call that actually exists in 1 Timothy 6. If you flip over your order of service to that passage from 1 Timothy 6, you'll see Paul saying to Timothy, he says, As for you, O man of God, flee these things. And if you find yourself wondering, what are the things that he's supposed to flee? A few verses before, this is verses 9 and 10, he says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And then he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. The thing he's dealing with Timothy is don't go after money. He gives him a different set of things to pursue, righteousness and peace, faith, godliness, love, all of these things he's supposed to pursue instead, but the things he's supposed to flee, the desire for wealth, the love of money. Later in this exact same passage, he actually deals with those who are already rich. Look at verse 17. Again, he doesn't say that money is the issue. It's the relationship with money. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. In other words, it's the relationship of pride here, or the relationship of this is where my hope is that's the problem. And then you see what's the prescription? What should they do instead? He sounds so much like Jesus, his master. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Doesn't it sound like Jesus? How do you avoid pride and money? Just be ready to give it away. Be ready to give it away to anyone who asks. It's not just Jesus or Paul after him. James says the same thing in his epistle. We hear that when Peter, I mean, when Paul met with James and Peter in Jerusalem and they were talking about the essence of the gospel before Peter, Paul went out on mission, one of the things they charged him with is, don't forget the poor. And Paul says, I was eager to do that. It's like embedded in all of them that this is what it would mean to have a right relationship with money. So the question that I kept coming to, and like I said, I'm going to be brief today. Y'all may be like, good, because this is uncomfortable. I'm going to be brief today because there's things that we need to do towards the end of service. I want to use prayers of the people in a different way. But this, I think, should begin to stir in us something. Because even though I think most of us go, like, I th we're fairly generous. And I think most people here have a fairly decent relationship with money. If y'all are like me, you go, yeah, there's still a mountain of growth left in my life. A mountain of growth. And it's actually worth listening to Jesus' words. 
is he actually calls us to a level of generosity that perhaps we've never had the faith to step into. A level of generosity that would break anxiety, that would break covetousness and greed, that would break the things that enslave us, because that's what happened. And idols enslave. That's the way that they work. And there's oftentimes we don't think that we're worshiping an idol. We just think that we're being pragmatic. And we wake up and realize, like, why is this the thing that controls my thinking and my worries all the time? For those of you that money's not that thing at all, count yourself blessed. You've probably got another one where you go, I need to face that one. We've all got them, and thankfully we don't have them all. But I think Jesus is right that for many of us, this is a place where it consumes more of our worry and our thinking than it ought to. And the prescription that he gives is give generously. It breaks it. It breaks those chains. That's not, though, where I want to close. It's not the final point that I want to get to. Because as I was wrestling with these things, the question that kept coming back to me is why does he care so much that we're generous? I mean, obviously, it helps those in need, right? That's a good reason to be that way. But why does he care so much that we're generous? And there needs to be sort of a negative, this is not the reason, before we step into the positive reason. The negative, this is not the reason, and this needs to be stated really clearly, is he doesn't tell us to be generous because by our generosity, we might earn his favor or forgiveness. That's not the reason. We can't earn his forgiveness. We can't earn his favor. The whole point of the gospel is that God loved us when we were enemies, that he gave us himself when we deserved nothing. We don't give because we curry favor with God by giving or because we earn something. If you think that that's what you're doing, if that's the temptation, it would almost be better not to give until you dealt with the fact that God's freely given everything to you, freely, with no expectation of repayment. He doesn't need what we have to offer. Psalm 50 says this explicitly. I don't need your sacrifices. I own everything already. So the negative reason that we need to set aside is it's not to buy favor or forgiveness. And it's certainly not because God's in need. The Bible is abundantly clear that that's not the right reason. So then you go, so why does he care so much that we're generous? If he's got everything, can't he deal with the poor himself? I mean, that would make sense, right? God owns everything. You go take care of him yourself. Why does he call us into that? And this is really, again, it's the beginning of a conversation but it's more important than just money, this truth. The reality is that we follow a Lord who's perpetually giving himself away. If you remember one thing today, it's not anything about money. It's this. We follow a God who's perpetually giving himself away. He's always offering himself freely. This is not just to us, but even within the Trinity, Father offering himself to Son and Son to Father and Father to Spirit and Spirit to Son and Spirit to both and back, perpetually offering each other love and glory, giving themselves away. It's what they do in creation. God has no need, but he's always giving himself away, offering himself, freely giving himself. And in that freely giving of himself, life springs forth. Of course, we see this most clearly in the cross where God gives away his very life. And in that death, life springs forth for all. That God's perpetually giving himself away. 
There is never a hint of selfishness in God. There's never a hint of hoarding in God. Never a hint of, I need to retain this just as a backup for myself, just in case. The character of God is always, I give everything away. And the beauty is that when he does, life springs forth. The reverse, what we did in the fall and what we continue to do is to say, instead of giving myself away, I will actually serve myself. I'll protect myself. I'll meet my own needs. And we think that we are gaining life when we do that. But the reality is, is every time we turn inwards to serve ourselves, the only thing that rises is death. We create death out of the attempt to serve ourselves. God shows us what it means to freely create life by giving everything away. Jesus said this explicitly, that the one who seeks to save his own life will lose it, and the one who gives it away will save it. It's not unclear in the Bible that this is the pattern by which God works, that in giving himself away, life springs forth, and in refusing to give, we become a source of death. You could probably overdo this analogy, but I think it's helpful. The Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee has the Jordan flowing out of it, and the Sea of Galilee is a place of life. Crops and vineyards, vegetables surrounding it, fish, it's a source of life because it's giving away the Jordan River. The Dead Sea has no water flowing out of it, only things flowing into it, and it's a place of death. Like I said, you could take that analogy too far. There's plenty of lakes that have rivers flowing into them and nothing flowing out that are sources of light. But I hope it's a visual picture for this for you, that when we freely give everything away, we discover that we actually become like God. And this is actually really where I want to go and where I want to end, is that we are called into this generosity because God has this deep desire to conform us to his image. This is what he longs for. Paul's prayer explicitly that Christ would be formed in you. He longs that we look like him. Peter goes so far in 2 Peter to say that we would become partakers of the divine nature. If that doesn't shake you, that God wants you to be a partaker of the divine nature, I don't know what would. He wants you to be like him. And the way that he is, is freely giving everything away because that's how life is created. In other words, he wants your life to be a place of life. He wants you to be a source of life to those around you. He wants you to be participating in his bringing life to those who are in need. And you say, yeah, I would like to participate in it. And he says, then have the faith to step out in generosity. Give away to them. Share with them. Like I said, this is the beginning of a conversation. There's mountains of things that need to be said afterwards about how to do it wisely, when to do it, how to know it. Of course, all that stuff needs to be talked about. My point today is that we would hear the heart, that our Lord is always giving himself away, and that when he does, life results. When we hold on to everything, death results. He calls us into his life. He calls us into his character. When we refuse generosity, we're refusing his character. You see the point, the connection of all these things. Much to think about. This goes way beyond money, by the way. And this is where I'll close. Because for many of us, actually, the principal areas where we actually face this are not our money. For many of us, actually, the principal areas where we face this is actually just the what we do with our time, how we regard other people, 
as we go through our day, is what we're doing an attempt to serve ourselves? Or is it an attempt to give away life to others? It seems scary to say, I'm going to give it away. I'm not going to actually protect or serve myself. But the promise of the Lord is that we begin to see his life in our life and in their lives when we do that, because we become like him. Like I said, it's far more than our money. It's our relationships with one another and our families and our coworkers. Are we serving ourselves? Are we giving who we are away on behalf of them? It takes faith to step into that. And if y'all are like me, y'all's faith to take that step is fairly timid, fairly small. It's much easier just to say, I'll protect and serve myself. But again, remember, that's only the path of death. The path of life is to become like God. Again, clarification, we're not earning God's life by this. He's given himself freely to us already. That's actually the place where we should stop, is that he's given himself freely to us already. That's Paul's point to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. Why are you fighting for position? Everything is already yours. Everything is already yours. You don't need to jockey with each other for position. That's where I'd close with y'all. If this seems frightening, go home and grapple with the fact that if you've been given Christ Jesus, You've already been given all things. Amen.